It's the middle with Anthony Weiner on WABC. I know Anthony Weiner for a long time. He was a really bad guy. Taking a step back to look at things with a new perspective. Anthony Weiner, um, I'm not a big fan. It's the middle with Anthony Weiner. afternoon i'm anthony weiner and thank you for meeting me in the middle sometime every saturday at two o'clock when we take some steps away from the hot takes of the far right and the far left and we try to bring some context on news of the week or maybe bring it to a subject that doesn't find its way into the middle of the conversation enough a beautiful fall day outside so great to have you along eva on the board helping us out nick taking your calls 800-848-9222 800-848-WABC Kevin supervising us. I will be here with you for two hours. And then at 4 o'clock, Curtis comes in for left versus right. So great to have you along. And a rare Saturday when Huma isn't doing MSNBC counter-programming against me. Great morning, Jordan. Played hockey this morning. Had a great game. The Cyclones defeated the team from Riverbank. A close game. I'm so, so proud of that young man. You know, it's it's funny. I find myself having to stop myself because I'm, I'm critical. I'm the, I'm the guy that when he comes home and says I got only one question wrong on a test, I'll say what was that question. And I'm that way with the hockey as well. Even if he plays great, I'm like I point out something he did wrong, whatever it is. I'm trying to get that in check. And on the other hand, his mom is basically, oh, it's so great that you competed or whatever. Um, and I'm – but now Jordan is now getting to the place where he is now saying to his mom, Mom, you don't you don't know what you're talking about. I didn't play that well in the second period, whatever it is. He's just becoming – and also he's a real leader on the team. He's the captain of the team, and um, I'm super proud of him. And he uh, – they had a win a win today. Hope you are doing well on this stage. Thanksgiving week is, is coming up. Kind of a maddening week in the news, I don't mind telling you. You know, one of the things that I – tried to do, and one of the real benefits of being on just once a week is I get a chance to to listen to the news throughout the week, kind of take some notes and try to figure out how to, like the intro says, how to get a little context. And by the way, you can listen to us on 770 on your AM dial or wabcradio.com. I'm not going to read you what my Twitter handle is or what my threads handle is. First, I'm told nobody cares, but also I'm so frustrated what's going on in social media. And that kind of leads me to what I want to say is that I spent some time, and it's become maddening, the contrast between some really heavy, important, and things that I think people should be staring at every single day and trying to figure out and get right, 
And then on the other side is just so much just nonsense and silliness. Like this week in Washington, in our United States Capitol, you had a senator challenge a witness from a labor union to a fist fight. You had Comer, this guy who's running the uh, – he, he accused of having LLC shell, shell companies or something like that, calling his colleagues a, a smurf and also cursing while he was doing it. You've got Kevin McCarthy who was accused of punching one of his Republican colleagues in the back. It's just so – and this is what's concerning. People are oh, – and trying to put like, oh, this is important news. What does this say about our culture? What it says is that Washington is just not a great place to be right now. 29 members of Congress have already announced that they're not going to run for re-election. It's not super, super high, but this early to have that many is, is – and, and, and almost to a person, they're saying I want to get out of there because nothing's getting done. Um, I mean it looks like they are going to get rid of Santos – you know, even that story. I mean, I've been telling you for the ever since this thing broke, it doesn't matter all that much. Okay, the guy, well, he's not going to be a two-term congressman. Whatever happens, happens. But we, we just love this stuff. You know how titillated we are by what, you know, he stole money from his donors. He spent it on all kinds of different things. And then you've got the other things that are going on in social media, like you know Musk. You know who the who you know in this moment that we're having anti-Semitism exploding everywhere. Musk is is not only permitting it to ha- have ha- to happen, but he's encouraging it. He's he's welcoming it and he's agreeing with these comments. And advertisers are doing what advertisers are going to do. And now he's desperately trying to fix it in a way that I actually think is pretty good. He says he's going to start treating River to the Sea as hate speech. But it's just so, so much of it just doesn't matter to the day-to-day life of our of our country, but it does consume enormous amount of energy and hours, you know, on talk radio. And so I've just been watching – I've been watching less cable news, listening to le- less radio, but more and more having this feeling of powerlessness that, hey, the important stuff – and the important stuff we're getting wrong. You have young people, you know, it's a little overblown, the story maybe, but young people now discovering that they agree with Osama bin Laden. You know, they find Osama bin Laden was right when he was talking about Israel and the Jews. Oh, yeah? Okay. And by the way, is it any mystery that there's a permission structure that says it's okay to like Osama bin Laden when there's so many people openly saying they agree with Hitler on, on, on social media right now? I mean, social media is just... I mean, I have a particular bone to pick with them. But there are some things that were in the news this week that I think we sh- that do deserve, I think, attention they haven't really gotten. Inflation in October was down to 3.2%, which is basically to pre-COVID levels now. You know, when I sat down here, I think this is our 90th episode or something like that. In June of 2022, it was 8.9%, and now it's 3.2%. And, you know, you can criticize the Fed and high interest rates are problematic for all kinds of reasons. But the Fed, they're doing – they're not doing fiscal they're, – they're doing monetary policy, not fiscal policy. And they landed this inflation problem without dramatic spikes in unemployment and without a recession. I mean that's a real reason to be optimistic. I mean recessions cost hundreds of billions of dollars, cost people lives and their health and everything else. And so that's a real accomplishment. 
And it really does look like now we're we're down. And you know, then President Biden met with the president of China. And that's a big deal. Look, there are only three superpowers in the world, right? And I mean India's rising, but they're not by no means a superpower. And we've heard what Donald Trump's proposal is on dealing with China. He says let's put a twenty five percent tariff on everything, which would spike inflation immediately. We get so much stuff from there. So that's not a great so you know, they're not going anywhere. They own an enormous amount of debt that is in dollars. They're not attacking anybody. (laughs) They would be attacking their own economy if they ever did. And for the first time in 40 years, our economy outpaced China's. That's reason to be encouraged. Now, you also had a situation where Joe Biden – and here's what passed for controversy this week. Joe Biden was – I think we have a tape of it. Joe Biden was asked a question and uh, do we have that ready to go, Ava? He was asked about President Xi. It's a little bit difficult to make out the question here but basically he's he has in the past called President Xi a dictator and he was asked about it again. After today, would you still refer to President Xi as a dictator? This is a term uh, that you used earlier this year. Well, look, he is. I mean, he's a dictator in the sense that he, he is a guy who runs a country that is a communist country that's based on a form of government totally different than ours. Anyway, you may say... So that, and, and, and then he walked off. And by the way, that passed for controversy this week, that the president of the United States called she a dictator. By the way, you don't have to do this. But if you want to go look at the Constitution of China, I'm going to read you Article 1. Now, this is in English, and I'm counting on the translation thing in my computer to have done this right. Article 1, the People's Republic of China is a socialist state governed by a people's democratic dictatorship that is led by the worker class and based on alliance of workers and peasants. I got news for you guys. She is a dictator. He is, and I don't think that our leader does anybody any good by glossing that over. As a, there's, there's all kinds of uh, Twitter memes of Anthony Blinken cringing when he says that because diplomats don't like it when you call, you know, when you say stuff honestly. And to Joe Biden's credit, he got that right. But our economy is now growing at a faster rate than China is. China is really struggling. They're going to be around a while. And they're not on our side. Russia is not on our side. These are our – but the difference between Russia is Russia is by and large been – a uh, a military law, you know, a warmongering state. The Chinese, while they're feeling their oats and they're growing their military, our competition with them has been largely regulatory and monet and 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 economic. And so, the fact that the two leaders are talking is fine. I think that's don't expect suddenly milk and honey to flow in the streets and the Chinese to be. Good people, but all these warmongers that are like, oh my God, we're going to go to war with China. That's not going to happen. So that's good news um, that, that, that that has been – but undeniably though, the heavy cloud that hangs over all of this is what continues to go on in the Middle East. And it's not getting any better from a U.S. domestic perspective, but even that has gotten crazy. You know, there was a big – rally slash protest in front of the Democratic National Committee headquarters in Washington. Do you know what the Democratic National Committee has to do with policy in the Middle East? Nothing. 
they're part of the apparatchiks. They raise money. They they organize you know poll workers and stuff like that. And but it is a perfect embodiment of just how idiotic some of the some of these ralliers and protesters are. Look, I'm not going to lie to you. You can take the dumbest poster, and I've done this recently. You can take the dumbest poster. You can take the, the most idiotic interview you can find, and you can find a lot of people who are really ignorant. But at the core of all of this, you can find it on the pro-Israeli side as well to ignore the fact that Bibi Netanyahu has been driving this government further and further to the right, doing coalitions with further and further right-wing people that have antagonized the situation there more and more. That's an undeniable truth that there is a two-state solution that all of Bibi's predecessors going back 40 years, 50 years now, 40 years now, have engaged in to try to make their people safer and also try to get Israel out from having to be controlling of the, of the Palestinians. I mean, is, this is not a simple thing to solve. But there is no doubt that on the protesting left, there's just a level of, I don't know what other word to use, of ignorance. You know, you see people just yelling. I mean, no one paid a cut at the top of like just saying, people, oh, our leaders are lying to us about, you know, they have no idea. And there's no desire to learn anything. There's no desire to learn what River to the Sea means. There's no desire to put any flesh on the bones of what do you mean by free Palestine. You care about Palestinians, right? You care about them so much. But there was no interest in standing outside in Union Square when when um, 100,000 Palestinian refugees were slaughtered in a, in, a, in a refugee camp outside Damascus in 2013 by Assad. You're so concerned about Palestinians, but not those Palestinians. And you're and 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 you're so concerned about the life of 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 Palestinian children, but no acknowledgement that that Israeli children have been slaughtered. But uh, both sides have to kind of, you know, like I say in the intro to this show, you got to push away from the hot takes of the far left and the far right, and realize that in the real world, what's really complicated. These problems are complicated. Dealing with China is not in. An easy thing. You know, if, if it was such an easy thing, well, everyone within the sound of my voice would pick up every article of clothing, every every machine that they purchase, every VCR that they buy. And the moment they see made in China, they would put it back on the shelf and not buy it and buy the one that's 50 or $60 more expensive or one that might not even exist anymore because the Chinese have cornered that market. If it was really so easy, then then the, the Israelis would have extricated themselves from – from the problem of Hamas and probably uh, from the problem of Gaza and and maybe the problem of the West Bank a long time ago. If U.S. policy was really that, if it was really so black and white, what to do? It would have been done a long time ago. These issues require adult conversations, and unfortunately, I just I don't see it. I don't hear it. And every once in a while, someone will try to have that nuanced conversation, and they get smacked around because we have attention spans of gnats around here. And also in the second hour, I'm going to talk a little about the legal updates. There's more Biden legal updates this week than there are Trump legal updates. The Biden legal updates are both Hunter. What's the latest in his case? You might have seen who he wants to subpoena. Now it's going to trial. See, there's a lot of reasons why prosecutors do plea bargains. 
And one of them is they don't want the the defense to be able to put some people on the stand and ask them tough questions. And then I talked about it last week and the week before. What is going on with the documents investigation into Joe Biden? And we got some hints about that also this week. And also Donald Trump has been commenting on Anthony Weiner. You might have heard this. Many people have been asking me about Anthony Weiner. The fact is, I know him very well. What he's done is incredible. It really is. It's true. He must be referring to the ratings here. The fact that I that you know we're the, we're we're doing great. The, the whole station. See, it's a little bit deceptive because the whole station's doing great. And um, as John and Margot have said, you know, a rising tide lifts all boats. But it's very nice of Joe Biden. Sorry, but Donald Trump to acknowledge me. Joe Biden still hasn't. I'm waiting for him to say something nice on social media about me. Call me a dictator or something. Um, but things are things are going well um, here at the station. But down in Washington, they are just a mess. And by the way, I don't care how many polls that you see. One thing that people are watching very carefully is what the Republican Party's brand is nowadays. And right now in Washington, they left. They could not get their spending bills done. They, thank God, didn't close the government down. But before they left, one of a friend of the show, Chip Roy, summarized it very well for his colleagues. One thing. I want my Republican colleagues to give me one thing, one, that I can go campaign on and say we did. One Anybody sitting in the complex, if you want to come down to the floor and come explain to me one material, meaningful, significant thing the Republican majority has done besides, well, I guess it's not as bad as the Democrats. There it is. That's Chip Roy summing up up what I said at the top. A lot of stuff going on in Washington. Not that much. Listen, I am open. The phone lines are yours. 800-848-WABC, 800-848-9222. If you want to Talk about some of that stuff. If you think it's important, I'll hear you. I mean, this is your show. And generally speaking, the callers have a pretty good sense of what they want to hear. But there's really important stuff going on in our relationship with China. The economy is is doing much better. Thank goodness it's doing better. Some people still haven't felt it. The biggest place where it still hasn't been felt is in rent. But hopefully that'll be the thing to come down next. So we've got a lot on our plate today. Some of it important, some of it not. And it's really great to have you along. We'll see you on the other side. This is The Middle. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. and welcome back to the middle i'm anthony weiner 
Going to be with you for the next uh, an hour and a half till four o'clock. Curtis Lewa comes in. Curtis and I are going to be talking about the latest in the Eric Adams investigation. And now that investigation has gotten even more interesting as the mayor has not only lawyered up, but created an apparatus that he can start raising money to pay his legal bills, which is complicated. You see, among the many problems, and we'll talk about this when Curtis comes in, Curtis has a passing interest in this as a former candidate for mayor, maybe a future one. What What's complicated is when an elected official is being investigated and he has to hire lawyers and has to raise money. It's really difficult to figure out what rules they should have around fundraising, right? We have very clear rules around fundraising for your election that very transparent limits on how much you can get, people that you can take from and can't take from, etc. But when you're paying for a lawyer, if if the lawyer, if the legal bills are for something that you did as either a candidate or as an elected official, then you have to come up with a whole new set of rules. Well, can someone just come in and write a $100,000 check and then before you know it, that person theoretically is exerting undue influence because they've given so much money to the mayor. So it's complicated. You don't want to be investigated. And to make it even worse, it seems like the the footing that Eric Adams is on here in New York is that the investigators are being really tough on him, really tough on him, like doing things like grabbing him in the street and that kind of stuff. Uh, 800-848-WABC, 800-848-9222. My email address is wienerwabc at gmail. That's all I'm giving out this week. I'm not going to give out any social media handles because, frankly, I'm over it. Let's go to some calls. Let's go to Augustine Levittown. Augustine, thanks for getting us started today. Hello, Anthony. A pleasure to speak with you. Uh, I just love, me and my wife, just love the way you speak about your son. You guys sound like you have such a fantastic relationship. Yeah. That's wonderful. It's, it's, it, he, he is. And it's, maybe it's because I, you know, I became a father later in life. And maybe it's because, uh, you know, I, I just lost my dad. But, yeah, it, it really is. But I, I, I appreciate the kind words. Oh, that's, uh, now, to get to the subject. Uh, inflation, three and a half percent. That's not so great, but a fact is a fact. But the problem is in 2020, I was paying a dollar seventy nine, dollar eighty nine for a pound of butter. Now today in my supermarket, it's four dollars. So it's doubled. So I'm, I have to live with that for the rest of my life. I'm retired. Working people, yeah, maybe they'll catch up if they're, uh, they get raises. But retired people ain't getting raises. That's a Well, a you did. I, I mean, you, you did, and I appreciate that. You did, however, if you, you don't sound old enough to be on Social Security, but you did Social Security recipients for got the largest cost of living adjustment in the history of the program. I didn't know that. Yeah. The, the, so the Social Security COLA, it's the cost of living adjustment. Now, I always made an argument when I was in Congress that the cost of living should be calculated, you know, like, for example, I mentioned that rent is still stubbornly high. That's about 7% inflation still. But the, but but you do it. And and in in the, the important way to look at this, and I appreciate the call, the, the important way to look at this is the relationship between inflation and the rate of growth of salaries. And you want your salaries to keep up. You never want deflation. Now, you know, in 2020 is not the time to be marking it because we were in a recession. You never want prices deflating because that's a very bad sign for an economy. You always want it to be, but you want it to be manageable. That's what the Fed's job is. The Fed is to try to get full employment 
and and basically keep inflation at a reasonable level. But you don't want to inflate. Sometimes having inflation at zero is not the best thing either. Then you're basically loaning money at basically nothing. And you want to have a certain amount of risk associated with 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 with, with loans. And also remember, when interest rates are at zero, um, that's not good for all businesses. Sometimes businesses want a little bit more of an interest rate. But I, the point that I'm making is that 3.2 percent we're at now is where we were when inflation was not a problem in pre-COVID. You know, it's it's a little lower than it was when Trump left office. Put it that way, it was 3.4 when Trump left office. So. You know, look, I mean, 2020, we did have a recession that drove that was practically deflationary. It was a real problem. Um, Let's go to uh, let's go to John in the bronze. Hey, John, thank you for calling. You still there, John? I think we lost John. How about Neil in Brooklyn? Hi, Neil. Welcome back. Hi. Yeah. um, An underreported story was a Jewish shopkeeper by uh, Columbia University's store being damaged or ransacked. Uh, The question I have for you is uh, when I uh, watch uh, documentaries or I read stories about Nazi Germany and uh, same things like that happening, you sort of accepted or knew that the authorities weren't any help in those days. Well, I'm sort of left with the impression from even just reading the newspaper story that Nobody expects authorities to do anything with this nowadays here in New York. And one other quick question before you answer that one. Harvey Wiener, uh, old Brooklyn Dodger fan, uh, yellow cab driver, related to you? I don't know. My grandfather, blessed memory, Michael, was one of 11 kids. I don't think Harvey – where was he? he my, my Wieners were almost entirely Coney Island. Where was he? I think he lived on Bedford Avenue, but he drove a cab in Manhattan in the 90s. Uh, no. Uh, it, the 80s, actually, in the 80s. You know, it's but, funny, Neil. Thank you for calling. It's funny. Here's the thing. So when, when people in Washington would say to me when I'd be, you know, go down when I was a member of Congress, sometimes someone would grab me on the floor and says, oh, Wiener, that's such an unusual name. I would say to him, there's probably more Wieners in the Brooklyn phone book than there are Smiths, you know. But there's a lot of Wieners. One of the tells is my Wiener is W-E-I-N-E-R. Most I mean, this, this is a tough word to use, but probably should be IE because it's Vienna, right? But I don't remember uh, Harvey. But about the point that Neil was making about anti-Semitism now, let's 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 make some distinctions, right? You know, look, there were some literally some instances that looked like Kristallnacht of like glass being broken and things like that, and people tearing down posters is just rank anti-Semitism and hate. But there's also a lot of people who, and a lot of young people who are out just doing what young people do, protesting. Peace marches are part of what America is. People having protests is what part of America is. And I think that we have to make a distinction. It is very easy, and I've been accused of doing this. It's very easy to paint with a broad brush and grab one poster that says something or one chant that we find offensive or one kid that says something stupid and – Forget that there are just a lot of people who are out there because they're, they're – it's, it's, it's heartbreaking what's going on. War is a heartbreaking thing. <laughs> it is. I mean, and and so, so that there are going to be protests, I don't have a problem with that. They're wrong, many of the protesters. They don't understand what's going on in the region. They don't have a plausible second sentence once they say peace now or ceasefire or 
free Palestine. They don't have a, an understanding that gets them to the next thing. Like, what does that mean? Can you should we free them from Hamas first? That's my thing I say to now when they come up to me. I, you know, I put on a suit the other day and I was wearing a a, a dual flag lapel pin, the, the United States and 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 the Star of David and the uh, the uh, the Israeli flag. And someone came up to me, you know, snarled at me, obviously recognized me. When I'm in a suit and tie, people recognize me and snarled at me, you know, free Palestine. And I, so I said, free them from what? He says, free them from Israel. I said, do you mean the Jews? He says, no, no, I'm not going to fall for that. Free them from Israel. I said, should we free them from Hamas? And, you know, there was a little snarling of like there's no conversation to be had with a lot of do I think this is Christolic? No, but I can tell you the anti-Semitism going on online, out in the open. Is it any wonder that kids are circulating bin Laden letters as if they're gospel when so much conversation – it is OK on, on Musk's Twitter to say celebratory things about Hitler, to say – Musk this week took someone who tweeted basically the manifesto of the Pittsburgh synagogue shooter. And re, you know, rearrange the letter, rearrange the letters, and he says, you're speaking the truth here. Elon Musk, who boosts his own tweets to the nth degree, gets millions of, of interaction. The, the permission that we seem to have given for just out in the open anti-Semitism is off the chain. And that is a real – that's real. I feel the same insecurity that, that, that Neil talked about, that people – now, do I think that, that – the, the police won't protect us? No, I think they're, they're doing the best they can. When, when, when police are dealing with civil disobedience and with parades and things like that, no one does it better than the city of New York. When I saw that video, like people linking arms trying to block the doors to the DNC, and I heard someone talking about this on Bo Snerdly's show earlier. Like no one – there was no mace being – no one was spraying mace. No one got assaulted. It was people linking arms and refusing to move. It was basically a sit-in. New York City – New York City, we like our cops deal with these protests all the time, and they're not perfect. People who say, "Well, let's round them up and arrest them because they're they're idiots about what's going on in the Middle East." No, that's not a crime. Being an idiot's not a crime. Is it a worrisome level of anti-Semitism? Is is someone who tears down a a a, a hostage a, a picture of a hostage off a lamppost? Is that person just a rank anti-Semite? In my view, yes. Yes, there's no other explanation for it. There really isn't. And we're back. We'll take some more calls. I'll be taking you to 4 o'clock. This is The Middle, so great to have you along. And we'll see you on the other side.
So welcome back to the middle. That's uh, the classic song Springtime from Hitler from the producers. That was such a subversive. I mean, Mel Brooks, there's never been anyone like him in my view. That's a, We can devote an, a whole episode to Mel Brooks. My dad used to do this thing. You know, my dad passed in June. I know I talk about it a lot. He used to do this thing where he would call us in and insist that we sit and watch mo- like some of these classic movies. Um, and we would just roll our eyes. It was almost a running joke of like, yeah, Anthony said, Jason, come in here, friend. Watch this. Watch this. This is classic, classic. But he introduced me to the producers. And um, maybe it's a movie we should watch now. I don't know. I, I have no idea how to deal with the how deal how to deal with the you know the the question is anti-Semitism worse than it ever was, or is social media just providing a place that just everyone who feels these things feels comfortable coming out and saying it? And I don't know which is worse. In a way, there's a certain transparency to it now. I know that the richest man in the world agrees with anti-Semitic tropes. Call him an anti-Semite. I mean, I know that now. He he says it. I believe what he says. Am, am I better off knowing that? I mean, I know that that you know the reaction that the, the only reaction that Musk or that any company matter that cares about is how it affects their bottom line, and if you. Look at how the bottom line of – I mean the he has basically pissed away the value of that company by letting it become a cesspool of hate. And I said this. I did a whole episode on this. You know, When people say I had no problem with Musk taking over because I said no one believes you know, this whole idea of, true, of, of free speech. Free speech. He's, he's got a company and if he wants to sell advertising, he can't have anti-Semitism all over the place. And sure enough, just this week, in the last 24 hours, IBM, Apple, Lionsgate, and the entire European community says we're not going to ha- run ads anymore. And they're, lo- they're, losing, they're losing money. And he, he bought an asset for $44 million and it's worth like 18 now. Brilliant businessman. But it's everywhere. And then there is the, these, these people who apparently don't realize what they're doing is anti-Semitism. Give them the, let's, let's give them the benefit of the doubt. That they don't know what river to the sea means. Let's give them the benefit of the doubt. But that in that that is an anti-Semitic trope. It means I, you know that who's who is between the river to the, the sea. <laughs> Those are Jews. Anyway, so let's go back to our uh, let's go back to our calls. Eight hundred eight four eight WABC. Eight hundred eight four eight nine two two two. Nick is taking your calls. We'll be here till four o'clock. And let's go to uh, uh, Lewis in New Jersey. Hey, Lewis. Uh, Anthony, um, yeah, I'm. I'm not going to comment on the anti-Semitic thing. I, I think a lot of people have been doing that. And besides, it's a, it's a three thousand year old problem, so you really cannot uh, solve it within a few, you know, a few minutes. But I, I want to make a comment about Chip Roy uh, saying that Republicans haven't done much, and I agree with him. But from the negative side, in other words, yes. It's a good thing that the Republicans haven't done anything because I don't agree with the Democrats that somehow you have to have another urban program, another uh, midnight basketball program, another, you know, another contract fixing this and that. That's oftentimes not necessary somehow uh, uh, so that, uh, you know, politicians can campaign on and say, well, I did that and I did that. 
some new law that we don't need. Like, you know, do not spit them on subway platform. Guess what? People spit on subway <laughs> platform. Anyway, it doesn't matter. <laughs> I mean, let's face it. You know, we have these laws that we don't need. We have mountains and mountains of statutes that we don't need. But politicians like to have their names attached to it. And yes, I wish Republicans don't do anything because we need less government, not more government. That, that's, a, that's an excellent argument, and I buy it. Except let me ask you a question. Don't you believe, Lewis, that sometimes things change in the country enough that you need to, say, update the immigration laws, for example, or health care, which used to be not a super expensive part of our economy, is now fully a quarter of our economy? Then maybe you have to update how we deal with health care costs or sometimes because we're living longer. We have to deal with programs for senior citizens, even if you just do the bare minimum. Like keep the government open and you still have to do something. Don't you agree? I agree with that. But, you know, I, I believe in the Enlightenment's view, uh, you know, views of from Thomas Hobbes to John Locke to Thomas Jefferson. Small government is better. Now, when you mention, let's let us say, as you did, Social Security. For thousands of years, human beings have lived without Social Security. They've lived just as long and just as healthy, probably even better. So. Wait a minute. Hold on. Wait. That's not true. We had a poverty rate of about 40 percent among seniors before it was passed. Poverty rate is how you measure it. OK. You know, they were poor. They were that, poor. That the liars figures. OK. Uh, so, I mean, you, you know, we can get into the so- social administration issue. But the fact of the matter is that, yes, of course, there is reason to 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 think that government is necessary the primary uh, the primary function of government has been one to protect the state against foreign enemies and number two to protect the state against internal enemies in other words criminals that's the basic one everything else is gravy now if you want to have the government i uh, i mean the programs you know the midnight basketballs or whatever yes you can do that on a local level. You can have churches. Well, I hear you, but Lewis, I got to tell you, you've brought, in, you've brought a lot to think about. This is a fundamental philo- philosophical thing about government. But the problem is that government philosophy doesn't, doesn't cut it after a certain point. By the way, just apropos of this, I, I, I highly recommend you, Lewis, and others. There's a documentary that looked at the debates between Effley Buckley – uh, William for Buckley and uh, Gore Vidal during the 1968 de- uh, uh, conventions where they just sat two brilliant men, a brilliant conservative and a brilliant liberal. And they just and they hated each other. So it was very colorful as well as everything else. And you realize pretty quickly that the bumper sticker versions of conversations, the small government is the best government. I think that that's by and large probably right, except does that mean then that programs that help us become a better, healthier country, that helps us compete economically, that helps us create rules of the road so that companies and businesses don't cheat the rules and make us sick, for example, that things that, in, that increase our life expectancy like the Clean Water Act? Like like laws that require sanitation services, that laws that require fire safety, that laws that that require people to do things they might left to their own devices not do, but make us all healthier and safer and better off. You know, the Social Security is not a great case to make 
from my perspective, because Social Security has worked. It's been a, a remarkable success. We had a poverty rate of about 35% among seniors. Today, it's in the single digits. That was a great program. That was a program that protected people after, you know, when we had the Great Depression and people lost everything or on the street, there's now a safety net that catches people before they fall too low. People say, well, I don't think that the federal government should help provide health care for people. Well, I got news for you. Someone gets hit by a bus right now outside. Unless you think we should just leave them there, we're going to take them to an emergency room. And then it becomes a question, well, how do you pay for that? And maybe there are things that we want government to do. For example, maybe we want government investing in research to come up with a blood disease that maybe only 20,000 people a year will, will get. But we want that research to be done. Or maybe we want to make sure that everyone, that people who have historically had been held back by things that the government did like slavery should get a little bit of a leg up to help them compensate for generations of, of wealth that they couldn't create or they, they couldn't pass along uh, from, from, from their parents. I just don't think, and this is my experience in government speaking, I don't think the bumper sticker version of this stuff gets you very far. Small government is the best government. Okay. I I think we should do the minimum amount of government that's necessary to make us a better country. And people have different views. The problem with the Republicans and part of what Chip Roy was was making the point of is Republicans don't know why they want to be in charge. They just know stuff they don't like. They know stuff that they hate. They know stuff that they're angry about. They know just owning the libs. They just want to – whereas at least on the other side, even the most fringy fringe person in the, in the House Democratic Caucus has a list that they wake up with every day. I want to have socialized medicine. I want to have single-payer health care. I, I want to increase food stamps. So they have things they want to get done. So they walk into Congress with stuff they want to do. And then you, you can negotiate with them. You can say, OK, I'll give you a little of this. You give me a little of that. What Chip Roy was saying in that rant that sounded, as, as Kevin said, sounded like old Anthony Weiner. What, what Chip Roy was saying in that rant, and we'll play it again maybe later, is that, is that there's nothing – you wanted to be in charge of the House of Representatives. You got the majority. You got the majority by a narrow amount, the same narrow amount that, that Nancy Pelosi had. And you, you're not doing anything with it. And not only that, when you hire a speaker, when you choose a speaker, and he does the audacious thing of keeping the government open, you fire him. You, you toss him and you spend three weeks trying to pick another guy who gets into the same problems. That's the point, is that the Republicans said, we want to control the House. Help us control the House. Help us control the Senate. Help us win. And then when you get there, you don't want, you know, Donald Trump couldn't get infrastructure day, let alone infrastructure week, let alone an infrastructure bill, because Republicans don't know how to govern. It's not their thing. They're not a governing party anymore. They're an opposition party. And maybe that's that's what they're most happy being, just as in the opposition. My name's Anthony Weiner. This is The Middle. So great to have you along. We'll be back to wrap up the first hour right after this.
born in Dusseldorf, and that is why they call me Rolf. Finding new ways to make change, reaching across the aisle to work with both sides. Before all this happened, Anthony Weir, he was fantastic. That guy could have been the president. This is The Middle with Anthony Weiner. But Weiner may be my greatest challenge yet. He has gone toe-to-toe with many pundits before me. On WABC. And welcome back to the middle. That is the monkeys bringing us back in. 800 wabc We're talking about the hodgepodge of news of the week, some frivolous and trivial mixed in with some important stuff. You know, by the way, you know, this there is not a lot of crossover between um, Twitter followers, Twitter readers, and radio listeners. It's a very different type of thing. Because in radio, the conversation is more long form, is more in, truly interactive, not just yelling 120 characters and then going back to your hole. is not a, you know, people, there's an actual conversation that goes on. You might not like what you hear all the time. A lot of people say to me, I don't like what you say, but I like listening to the show and I like the callers. But um, this the stuff that's going on in social media does have a carryover effect because it does, you know, you know, there was a conviction in the Paul Pelosi case. Remember Paul Pelosi? Paul Pelosi, the husband of Nancy Pelosi, some crazy guy who would believing what he was reading online, believing the conspiracy theories goes to attack Nancy Pelosi, finds her husband there. And by the way, there are hosts on this radio station, I'm not going to say their names, who were making up and and speculating, oh, there's something more here. Is that Paul Pelosi's lover? The guy got – is an 80-year-old guy got attacked by a hammer. It was just out of – you know, if there's any time and Donald Trump was making jokes about it, oh, you know, Nancy didn't have a big enough fence around – you know, we can we at least agree that the spouses of elected officials shouldn't be attacked with hammers. But anyway, there's a real cost to this kind of dialogue. And Elon Musk, who is a wealthy guy, he's obviously good at something because he's got a lot of money, right? So he's he's builds rockets that you know whatever. He's got these cars that sometimes stop and sometimes don't. But what he's clearly bought Twitter for is to amplify this hate stuff. He could shut it down tomorrow. He has no interest in doing that. And to make it even crazier, again, I listened to the, to the station. You know, there was someone, a, a guest was on earlier saying, oh, yeah, Musk is going to get even because he's now going to sue a nonprofit called Media Matters who's been monitoring anti-Semitism and hate on Twitter. He's going to sue them to make them stop. I just think the world is upside down. And we're here to put it right side up. If there's a middle to that, let's go to uh, Pat in Westchester. Hey, Pat, thank you for calling. Thank you for taking my call. I want to ask you a question. Uh, You know, the generals we have now, I don't have too much faith in them. They're not like Patton and Eisenhower. Years ago, if we ever come to war, do you think they would be able to handle it? 
Look, I happen to believe that, that the military is one of the last great institutions in our country. That is, I, I, I look, I don't I'm not an expert. I don't know many of the generals now. I haven't been in Washington a while, but the people that I came in contact with when I were there are people that grow, grew through the ranks based on their seniority, based on their, their the way that they led. We provide them with the most extraordinary military hardware. The budget keeps growing and growing. I have no reason to believe not. Why are you skeptical, Pat? Have they failed in the past that, that you're concerned about? Don't think very much of them. They don't seem as intelligent and as strong-minded. Give me an example of give me an example of one that you can say that about. Oh, oh well, you got Patton. He was a no, no, no. I'm, no, I'm saying today. Oh, you... I don't know their names offhand. I listen to them on your shows, the different shows you have. And all oh, wait a minute, wait a minute. Here's here's an important thing you should be aware of, Pat. The retired generals that go on the radio talk show circuit that are on TV. Those guys and Curtis has a bee in his bonnet about these guys. Also, those guys are entirely about making money from the – these are not active generals. Those are not the people that are out there that are in the command and control that are, that are, that are, that are overseeing our troops. Look, I, I think – and I appreciate it, Pat. I think that one of the things that started to happen with Republicans in, in Washington, like Timmy Tuberville and these other people criticizing our troops, criticizing our military, I don't know. That, that – it's one of the many ways that I think that the country's kind of on its head right now. It used to be that the Republicans could be counted on for rallying around the defense would be strong on defense. Now it's the Democrats standing up for the generals and Republicans like Pat calling in and saying, no, I don't think that they're doing that great a job. I don't know where that comes from, but I'll be honest with you. I don't have I don't have the the day to day contact with them. I don't have the sophistication to know. Um, and but I, I have I have confidence that in Democrat and Republican administration that the the men and women who are actually doing the war fighting, those are people that are there because of because of merit. And I, I, I hope that that's the case. Uh, listen, we'll come back for another hour. It's a great hour, number one. More stuff we're going to do. The legal wrap-up of the week when we come back. It's great to have you on The Middle. I'm Anthony Weiner. Stick around for the second hour. It's The Middle with Anthony Weiner on WABC. I know Anthony Weiner for a long time. He was a really bad guy. Taking a step back to look at things with a new perspective. Anthony Weiner, um, I'm not a big fan. It's The Middle with Anthony Weiner.
Welcome back to The Middle. I'm Anthony Weiner. That's Morrissey bringing us back in. Every day is like Sunday. Well, no, this is Saturday, unless you're listening to us as a podcast, which comes out almost as soon as we go off the air. Kevin does whatever magic he does. And speaking of podcasts, episode 56 of The Middle Unplugged is now available and in your feed. That comes out every Wednesday, the middle of the week. Get it? Where I basically do a version of the radio show except without callers, so it's not as good. But we've been experimenting recently by recording and putting it up on YouTube, in case you want to see my punum while you listen. And that's been doing really well. We're not quite, we're not quite sure why, but a lot of people have been viewing it. And we encourage you to get also lots of other podcasts available at the Red, get Red Alpha Podcast Network. You know, among the many successes here under John and Margot Katzmatis and Chad Lopez's leadership is, is our podcast operation here is just excellent. It's got repurposed episodes. It has segments that are done. I know that Frank Morano's show, he breaks up into different segments. There's stuff that's made for podcasts that's just um, interesting little stuff. Andrew Giuliani does a, does a thing where he does football predictions. Every week it's the Giants are going to win. By the way, at what point when you're a pundit and you predict things wrong every week, do you fire from, getting your, from having a job as a pundit? Um, but I would encourage you to tune into all this. So I said it for the second hour, we're going to start with some of the legal news of the week. One of the principal reasons we extended the program two hours, and again, I'm grateful for that. I'm grateful for all of you who have been tuning in, is there's so much legal news e- each week. A lot of it's Donald Trump. He had his civil trial continued. He had a chance to put on some witnesses. That did not go very well. His side called an expert witness to basically say that um, you value – You know, one of the things he's accused of is increasing the value on properties – and he had someone come in to testify that, yeah, but there are some trophy properties that you can't put a value on because some some people are willing to pay an, ex- an exceed amount. And then he was asked on the stand, but weren't these supposed to be um, – wasn't well, – weren't you not supposed to use that type of valuation on this documents? And he looked at it and says, yes, you weren't. That was, that was not allowed. So they immediately pulled him off the stand because that did not go very well for the Trump side. But most of the we- the news this week – is on the Biden side, but there's a little just for the country. For the, for example, the Supreme Court finally got around to writing some ethics rules for itself. And you know this was because you had Supreme Court justices that were taking trips that were paid for by big donors and who had business before the court. You had um, them taking money, cash directly, going to pay for you know homes for their moms and stuff like that. And so they came up with these ethics rules and left me wanting a little bit. Fifty-three times in the ethics rules, it says the word should, meaning the justice should disclose A, B, or C, or should do A, B, or C. And only six times does it say they must do something. And if you're looking for, well, who enforces it, they're completely silent. on It's just basically just follow these if you want to. And I know it's complicated because, you know, you have three branches of government. I believe it's in the power of Congress to set up ethics rules for the judiciary. They can fire someone from the judiciary, so certainly they can set up rules. But I know that they don't – that I think Congress, if left, would rather not. They'd rather the court does it for themselves so that there isn't a conflict, a constitutional conflict. And this is an attempt at least, but it's a pretty lame one. Oh, in Hunter Biden news, as you know, Hunter Biden, they had a plea deal ready to go. And the special prosecutor said we're going to charge him with a gun crime because he lied on a gun application and we were going to charge him with not paying taxes for a couple of years and make him pay back some taxes. He was going to um, 
have a, defer, a deferred prosecution meaning or something like that so he wouldn't have to serve any time. And under a lot of pressure, the Justice Department said, nope, we're withdrawing that deal. And Hunter Biden said, OK, we'll see you in court. And so as part of that, Hunter Biden has told the court that he wants to subpoena some witnesses on his behalf. Who does he want to subpoena? One Donald J. Trump. He wants to subpoena Bob Barr. He wants to subpoena Richard Donahue and Jeffrey Rosen of the Justice Department. Now, what does he hope to prove? Well, in discovery, which is the process that you go through before a trial, where both sides, particularly in a criminal trial, you get any information that might be exculpatory. And if he can show that this was this prosecution was brought against the advice of the prosecutors on the case and for political reasons or that Donald Trump called up and said, I want you to prosecute this guy, which is not the way it's supposed to be. And what, you know, the same exact thing that people accuse Joe Biden of doing, although there's never been any evidence of that. Well, let's get let's get Donald Trump on the stand in the Hunter Biden case. Popcorn, anyone? So that's the latest in the Hunter Biden case. Not a lot. They're so they're gonna have a trial though, and I've you know, um, and it's going to be part of the evidence is going to be when the Justice Department didn't find him liable for anything any of this foreign influence peddling or anything else. So don't expect that to come in because he already has the Justice Department offering to prosecute him and not not prosecuting him for that. So that's not going to come in. And then Joe Biden, and I have been on this train for a while. People say, why do you call it the middle? You're not in the middle. No, I I, I think that, that I want to find out what happened with the Joe Biden documents case. If you remember, the documents found in his garage and found in his office at the University of Pennsylvania, I want to say. Now, it's very different than the way Donald Trump handled it. It was Joe Biden's lawyers that immediately notified the Justice Department. They cooperated after the documents were discovered. He didn't make any, any attempt to hide them. He didn't need, you know, any of the stuff that Donald Trump was. He didn't show it to anyone, all the other stuff. But it's now been leaked or it's been a report that um, that her, the special prosecutor, Robert Herr, has put together a report that's pretty critical of Joe Biden's conduct but will not result in criminal charges. Now, before you get too excited about that, there is, as you know, a Justice Department policy that a president of the United States not be charged, indicted while he's in office, but you can be indicted once you leave. That Remember the Mueller report? The Mueller report found Joe Biden, found Donald Trump guilty of all of these things, of of having meetings with of having meetings of of obstructing justice and all these other things. He said oh, I was cleared. No, just the Justice Department can't is a policy can't prosecute the president. Think about how that would be. How could you prosecute the president? The Justice Department is prosecuting basically their boss. So Donald so Donald Trump could be prosecuted when he left office and indeed that he was for different things, but he was. And so Joe Biden apparently this report's going to come out he's not going to be charged with any with anything, but he could be. If this report says we believe that this illegal act might have occurred, that means that he can be prosecuted when he leaves office. But that report will be coming out in. Um, Donald Trump uh, commented on it, thought it was fake news. Oh, another thing, Donald Trump. Donald Trump also said some nice things about me this week. I don't know if you heard that. Many people have been asking me about Anthony Weiner. The fact is I know him very well. What he's done is incredible. I I really do appreciate it. Thank you very much, former president. Trump saying some nice things. So that's kind of the news of the week from the judicial front. Um, 
some date things we're going. It looks like the judge in the Florida documents case is going to delay it and delay it and delay it until after the election. She was a Trump appointee, but hey, that's the way the cookie crumbles. You got a Trump appointee in that case. That's the easiest case, I think, to make against Donald Trump. That's where he has this, the easiest straight liability. They've got tapes. They've got pictures. They've got a clear case of, you know, he had documents, wasn't allowed to have them, was asked to give them back, said he gave them back, didn't give them back, hid them, and then showed them to people who weren't allowed to see them. So pretty easy case, but that, that case seems to be getting later. The, the other update is about gag orders. The gag orders have been – are getting litigated up the chain. It's now in the appellate division in New York, the one for the civil case, and it's the Court of Appeals, the federal case. And they're taking it seriously, this question of can you put a gag order on someone who is not only a defendant in a case but also a presidential candidate? Can you gag or limit what they can say? If you or I, ladies and gentlemen, were in a case – and we went out after on the on the steps and said things about the clerk of the judge and and threatened witnesses. We would not be allowed to do that. We would be held in contempt and thrown in jail. But Donald Trump says, I'm the president. I, I mean, I'm the candidate for president. I get to do what I want. And that's working its way up to court. As we speak, there ha, there is no gag order in place either in the federal case or in the civil case. And so um, that's uh, that's what what um, what happened there. Um, so let's go to some some more calls, and then at the top of the hour, Curtis Lee was going to be coming in. I'm going to leave most of the Eric Adams for that. However, there is a lot of immigration things people want to talk about. So let's go to Joe in Staten Island to get us started. Hey, Joe. Hey, Anthony. Rapid fire. Bottom line is don't sugarcoat the situation. Eric Adams is the anti-Semite who will harass a 90-year-old uh, Holocaust survivor. These thugs on Staten Island getting vouchers unvetted they many of them are sleeper cells also 13 billion dollars for the illegal invaders and not one penny to establish a new york city managed uh, retirement home for american veterans the richest city in the world the only city that doesn't have one the only major american city doesn't have anything except the horrible shelters where they kill people or the street all right, all right. let me let me let me just catch up let me catch up let me catch up let me catch up okay the uh, eric adams is an anti-semite I don't buy it. I don't buy it. He's he, he has snapped at people who are Jewish that I that I thought was inappropriate. I did a whole episode. I yelled at him about that. He shouldn't have done it. The migrants coming in, applying for asylum as sleeper cells. No, I, that's not generally the way sleeper cells would work. I doubt very much that that would be the way that they that they came in, applying, sitting for an interview, getting court dates, and that kind of a thing. I think if they were going to come in as a sleeper cell, there'd be other ways to do it. And as far as as um, as some formal way to to memorialize and to honor veterans in New York, I'm in favor of it. Let's go to Mark in Monroe. Hey, Mark, thank you for calling. Are you in a helicopter, Mark? All right, Mark. I might have kept Mark waiting a, a, a little bit a little bit too long. Let's go to Chris in Westchester. Hey, Chris, thank you for calling. Hi, how you doing, Anthony? Yeah, I just want to make a point about the Speaker of the House. Okay, the Speaker of the House is not the Speaker for the Democratic Party or the Republican Party. He is the Speaker for the House of Representatives. Now, what that was intended to mean is that the Speaker must do everything he can to come to a majority uh, uh, in the House of Representatives. Okay, that's the responsibility of the Speaker, not to represent his party or, or you know the point I'm getting at, right? 
Well, but he's chosen traditionally, he's chosen as a representative of the majority party. So I actually don't know what you're getting at. To do, no, it's got nothing to do. You, uh, even with the major, even if you have a majority in the House of Representatives, they can elect a speaker that is not uh, a, a member of the majority party. But they haven't. Okay, they haven't. But it's but uh, uh, as the Constitution would uh, allow for something like that. Right, but they haven't, Chris. So let's return to the well, to, to the to what we have. Well, like I, the point I was making in the beginning, it's the primary responsibility to, for the speaker to get to come to a uh, a majority vote on issues. No, that's actually no, that's really not historically what the what the the speaker has done. Historically, what the speaker has done is made important decisions about what is going to be considered and when. I mean, the power of the speakership in in the. House of Representatives, because it's 435 members, and thank you, Chris, because it's 435 members, you have to have a system to decide who's going to talk, what bills you're going to bring to the floor. You can't just have 435 that have all have equal rights. So the majority of the House, and he's right that it could technically be a majority plus one of Democrats and a majority plus one of Republicans, and that's the way you make up a majority of the body, but that's not Traditionally, the way it's been done, the tradition has been that the the speaker for their own party tries to pass things that reflect the values of the majority party. Now, I agree with you. I agree that if you just ask people that if there were no party labels attached and just said, do you want to provide health care for 9-11 first responders? We would have had that bill passed way before we finally did if it had not been for Republicans playing games with it. I mean, there are lots of issues. If you had, if just the majority mattered, if you just cared about the majority and you didn't care about how many Democrats or how many Republicans, we could do an immigration reform package tomorrow. But the fact is that that the Republicans want to have make sure that anything they do that reflects their values as a party. And so they choose a speaker that reflects their values. But it's, it's going to be a partisan, but it doesn't mean you have to not get – it doesn't mean the two things are mutually exclusive. You can totally have a majority party Republican speaker who still says let's try to get some stuff done here. And, and you know, the, the, the Senate, which is a much weaker majority leader, he, he is a, to more of a, a – he is a, a traffic cop as well. But individual members like we saw with, with, with Senator Tuberville have broad ability to slow things down. You know, they've passed stuff in the Biden administration in a bipartisan fashion, the infrastructure bill, the inflation, or the inflation reduction act, the chips act. These things all got passed on a bipartisan level. It's not the end of the world. But, yes, it usually is the party that chooses the speaker goes out and decides what it is that they want to pass. And that's what Chip Roy was complaining about when he went on this rant. One thing. I want my Republican colleagues to give me one thing, one, that I can go campaign on and say we did. One. Anybody sitting in the complex, if you want to come down to the floor and come explain to me one material, meaningful, significant thing the Republican majority has done besides, well, I guess it's not as bad as the Democrats. I mean, the, the, that's the thing. And I think the Americans – so one thing I always encourage you to keep an eye on 
is we're, very often callers to my show and listeners to WABC 77, the most powerful radio station in the nation. We're partisans. I'm a partisan Democrat. Many of my listeners are partisan Republicans. Just about all of the hosts here are partisan Republicans. I encourage people to think when they're trying to think, all right, well, how does this look outside of our little cocoon? We get to hear each other. That's great. But then there's a whole other group of people who are not fierce partisans. There are fewer of them. I admit we're a very partisan country right now. And they just want to see stuff being run in a competent way. And I ask you, my Republican friends, does it look like the House of Representatives is being run in a competent way? Not do you like what they're doing. Do you like is it does it seem like they can do anything? Is Chip Roy wrong about that? And by the way, he's not he doesn't have clean hands. I think wasn't he part of what dragged this speaker thing down? I actually don't I've lost track of these guys. And I just think that when Joe Biden, Joe Biden, when you look at how dreadful he's doing in the polls, reminds me a lot of Harry Truman when he was running for reelection. And his polls at this point were terrible also. And so what did he do? He coined the phrase the do-nothing Congress. The do-nothing Congress passed four times as much legislation in their first year as this one has. Okay? That's the do-nothing Congress. (laughs) So just remember that. Don't – I mean I would not be surprised if Joe Biden did what Barack Obama did, what Harry Truman did and said, yeah, you got things you don't like about me. In Obama's case, it was the recession was still lingering. In Biden's, in Biden's case, it was that he seems old and infirm. Just look at these guys. You really want to put them in charge? I don't think so. We'll see you on the other side. to make change, reaching across the aisle to work with both sides. Before all this happened, Anthony Weir, he was fantastic. That guy could have been the president. This is The Middle with Anthony Weiner. But Weiner may be my greatest challenge yet. He has gone toe-to-toe with many pundits before me. On WABC. Back to the middle. I'm Anthony Weiner. That is Nick Lowe. Cruel to be kind. I'm here with you until four o'clock. Then Curtis Lee comes in. Curtis has been, you know, Curtis is always a great source of like inside information about what's going on. And he's going to have to use all of his superpowers to find out what's going on in this investigation with Eric Adams. I mean, the, the Southern District is notoriously tight lipped about what they're doing. And, you know, I went to the, the Police Athletic League 
luncheon this week. Eric Adams spoke there. We're going to talk a little about some of the remarks that he made. John Kentrovitidis, among the many things that he does, he and Margo are big supporters of the police athletically. He's the chairman. And, you know, there were a handful of lawyers and judges that were there. And, and I asked around. I said, like, they must have done something. Eric Adams must have done something to tick off the investigators to make them be so heavy-handed with him. And no one I, – I, I couldn't I, – no one could say clearly what – people agreed with that supposition, but no one could tell me what exactly it was. And I think Curtis has some insight and in all of that. And uh, so we'll be getting to that. And uh, your calls, 800-848-WABC, 800-848-9222, wienerwabc at gmail.com is my email. I'm not giving you my threads because it's not cool. I'm not giving you X because I'm protesting X. And uh, so, But that's the way to reach me. Or you can, of course, call 800-848-WABC, and Nick will put you up on the board. All right, let's get back to, to some of the calls. Let's go to Mario in Rockland. Hey, Mario, thank you for calling. I don't have to. You remember me? Tell me more. Well, I'm always the one to say, like, uh, well, I say you talk out two sides of your mouth. Oh, now, yes. Always, yes, well, Mario. Yeah. Welcome back, pal. Of course I'm going to do it again today, Anthony. <laughs> Listen to me. <laughs> Listen to me, man. Fifteen minutes into the show, I'm just going to go over three things real quick. The first thing you said, I believe, it was Hunter Biden wants to have Trump subpoenaed to be put on the stand saying that he weaponized, I guess, the DOJ against Hunter. Is that what you said? Uh, more or less, yeah. Okay, and then... In that, you said, oh, well, people accuse Biden of the same thing, but there's no evidence of that. Correct. Boom. End of story. Well, why is there no evidence of that? Because you said so? Mm-hmm. See, Trump has to go to court to prove there's no evidence. Biden doesn't have to go to. Wait a minute. No, no. no wait. Well, all right. Bring some evidence. Okay. Hold on. Now, another thing you said was. Oh, um, well, wait a minute. Before you go off that, bring some evidence. You have got evidence that Hunter Biden no, weaponized just. I mean, no, that Joe Biden's. No, no. Hold on. Anthony, uh, you're missing my point. You, I'm talking about you. You got Trump guilty. This is what you do. He has to be proven innocent. But you just said Biden's innocent. So no, 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 no. I said Hunter Biden was calling Donald Trump to the stand to ask him all these questions under oath. I'm just saying Hunter Biden wants to allege that. That's why it's it's a kind of news of the week that he maybe he'll have a chance to do that. I got you. But then you finish that off with people accuse. Biden of doing the same thing, but there's no evidence of that. Correct. Okay, so Trump has to prove he's innocent. You, you already no, got no, no. All right, all right, Mario. You, I'm saying a completely consistent thing. Hunter is going to make an allegation against Donald Trump, and he's going to put him on the state on the stand to prove it. Right? Joe Biden gets accused of that. There's no evidence for it. So Hunter is going to get a chance to interview Joe Bi- uh, Donald Trump. If someone wants to bring it, Mario, bring it now. Do you think there's evidence that Joe Biden uh, put any pressure on anyone at, at the Justice Department? What evidence do you bring it? I'm, I'm here for you. The microphone is yours. I didn't say, listen, again, you're twisting the words. I didn't say, I'm saying you, Anthony, you instantly said he's innocent. Now, hold on. Let me do one other. Okay, point. go ahead. Get, get to your next one. The other thing is you said that the, the, the judge of Florida is going to delay, 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 delay the trial until after the election. She has. And then you happen to mention that's a Trump-appointed 
uh, judge. Right, uh, but I also said, I also said that's the way the cookie crumbles. I'm like, say, yeah, that's what happens. Sometimes you're going to get a judge that's favorable to you, but I'm not saying that's what she's going to do. I'm giving you the news of the week that she has moved back the discovery schedule to the point that now it looks like it's going to be after. I just bring the facts, Mario. I'm just, that's what has happened. And the fact is that she is a Trump appointed judge. And that's the same way Donald Trump complains about the other judge. You notice he never complains about the Florida judge. Why is that? Anthony, see, you miss my point every time. But you don't say that all of Donald Trump's trials, the other trials, are from Obama-appointed judges, and they all pick the dates prior to the election, prior to Super Tuesday. But you don't say that part. Why don't you? Wait a minute. I thought, I, first of all, I did say it by implication. I said he got a— All right. Mario, I, I, I appreciate it. Let, I, I will now make up to Mario by saying this. I think that you can get a judge who's favorable to you. I get a judge who's not favorable to you. It doesn't matter. At the end of the day, it's the judges. You get the judge that you're going to, and you have a trial, and you've got to live with the result of the trial. There, I've said it a thousand times on this microphone. I have said, I think I've even told the story of my own case, that when they originally spun the wheel in my case, they had a judge that was very, that thinks that the, 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 the laws dealing with obscenity that I was found guilty of are too broad and are, are made to take in too much and he believes the penalties are too harsh and everything else. I got that judge. And then it turned out that one of the prosecutors in the case had a conflict of interest with that judge. So they spun the wheel again, and I got one of the toughest sentencing judges around. That happens. And in the case of Donald Trump, he has a woman, uh, the woman who is the judge in Florida, who he appointed, has now kicked the can on the schedule past the one who I think is the toughest, easiest case to make against him, is now past the problem of the election. The other cases, which are uh, which uh, in, in uh, Chutkin, which is, I think, an Obama judge. But the point that I'm making that I want all my Trump supporter friends to remember is that, yeah, sometimes you get appointed by this guy. Sometimes you get appointed. We have one judicial system and the and that that's the way the cookie crumbles. And the only way we have to determine guilt or innocence in our country is by going in front of it. And if you don't want Democrat and Republican judges, fine, come up with a better way to appoint them than going through Congress and getting appointed by presidents. If you want to just feed facts into a machine and we don't have human beings do it, maybe we can do that. Judges have to come from somewhere. And if they get elected like Bragg did, people complain. If they get chosen like presidents do, people complain. Our judicial system is the worst in the world except compared to every other one. And the point that I make about these things is I sometimes do observe just for the point of knocking it down as a point. I said when I explained that this court case was – I say that was a Donald Trump appointee. But you know what? That's the way the cookie crumbles. He got it. He had he um, and that 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 judge is, in my view, doing everything to kind of be favorable to Donald Trump. And I made the point he hasn't said one cross eyed word about her. And the other judge is much more aggressive on the schedule, wants to get this done as quickly as possible. And somewhere in between is 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 the case in, in Georgia. Next, let's go to our friend Richard in Texas. Go ahead, Richard. Good afternoon, young man. How are you? How are you, Richard? 
good. You know, you said uh, in one of your uh, soliloquies earlier how Republicans don't know how to govern. So my question to you is, then why are all the blue cities, major blue cities, falling apart and people are leaving those cities to go to failing Republican cities, I guess, red cities and red states? But you know as well as I do, the failing and non-governing is coming from your side of the aisle. Otherwise, people wouldn't be leaving. New York lost in the four years 10 billionaires with 70 million in tax revenue gone 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 and you'll be and i guess they're just dumb billionaires but you know as well as i do the cities and the states they're going to are red controlled because the republicans do know how to control city new york city 10 billion deficit cut 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 why because we decided to invite all these illegal immigrants at floyd bennett field 75 people they spent millions of dollars setting it up getting it all ready for 2,000 illegal immigrants, but only 75 have shown up, and they don't want to stay there. That's great governance. You know, Isn't Richard, you Richard, you guys are doing Richard I got to tell you, people have been rooting against, predicting, surmising the decline of American cities forever. I have been here long enough to see to see a thousand Richards call and make a thousand phone calls the death of New York City. And we keep growing and growing and growing and being the economic engine. And you want to know what? The net balance of payments of money going to Washington and coming back, you know where the big uh, taker states are? Mississippi, Missouri, the Republican states, the big donor states, New York. The nation's capital, the world capital, New York City, yo. We ain't going anywhere. You can root against us all you want. Nobody, and I mean nobody, gets off the the plane in the United States of America and says, point me to Orlando or to Fort Lauderdale. You know why migration from the 70s, 80s, 60s, 70s, and 80s went from New York to Texas and and to Florida? Air conditioning. Air conditioning. People like to be in warm places fine. You know where my constituents go? When it gets cold, they fly down to Florida. And when they get old and need health care, where do they go? Back to New York. When they want to go to a show, they come to New York. You can do all you want. And I don't know where in Texas our brother's from, Richard. He's one of our best callers. I love him. By the way, Richard, my email is wienerwabc at gmail.com. So you don't have to, to wait all week to, to, to get stuff off your chest. I mean, New York City is the greatest place on earth. There's a reason why the great cities, when people making lists of the great places in the United States, they say Chicago, they say New York, they say L.A., they don't say Sarasota. I'm sorry. And I love Florida. Florida's fine. It's fine. We are the economic capital of the world. We're the entertainment capital of the world. We're the capital capital of the world. We've got the greatest radio station in the world. Thank goodness it reaches all over the country now. People, people, the, 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 the streets are lined with corpses of people that bet against New York. We've had good mayors. We've had lousy mayors. We've had smart politicians. We've had dumb ones. People come here. And you know who comes here and builds this city up? I read some statistics from the Giuliani years. It's immigration that picks this city up. A billionaire wants to find some place to pay less taxes. There are hundreds of places on the globe you can pay less taxes. Monaco or Morocco, Monaco. Like you can go to places and pay no taxes. There's zero state tax in Delaware. Enjoy your time in Delaware, my friend. And we'll be right back. Cruel to be kind in the right measure. Cruel to be 
got a voice, a big voice. Use it often. Sound off on Talk Radio 77 WABC. It's the middle with Anthony Weiner on WABC. I know Anthony Weiner for a long time. He was a really bad guy. Taking a step back to look at things with a new perspective. Anthony Weiner, um, I'm not a big fan. It's the middle with Anthony Weiner. Thank you so much for joining us on this Saturday afternoon. Looks like evening out there already. Sun comes down so early this time of year. It's been a great day so far. Started off with Jordan winning at his hockey game, and uh, he is the captain of his team, which doesn't mean much except that he uh, leads the kind of the stretching before the game, and he leads the little Cyclones on three, one, two, three, Cyclones chant. But he takes it seriously, and he's now, you know, he's it's 12U. So now that he's bumping up against 12, he's one of the older kids. And I'm just so proud of the way he's committed himself. Before this, before hockey, he was like a lot of kids who would kind of go in and out of sports, not really sticking to them. Like, you know, the, the exception are the kids that, you know, Malcolm Gladwell writes about that play 10,000 hours of practice and become amazing at something. Most kids do a bunch of different things, and Jordan was like that. But then hockey... It's such an investment. You got to buy the gear. You got to get a first thing in the morning and everything else. And partially because I played hockey my whole life, I didn't really pressure him a lot to do that. I, I mean, and then he gravitated towards it. He's been doing it the last couple of years. And frankly, you, you, my listeners, have kind of come along for this ride. You remember he tried out for the team. I was on the radio when that was going on. I found out that he made the team. When so you guys are kind of my my family when it comes to uh, to Jordan's progress. And so. Uh, we started the day that way, and a beautiful day. It's getting a little chilly outside, but it's great to have you along. And we're, we're going to be here until 4 o'clock, then Curtis and I are going to talk some Eric Adams stuff. I'm going to ask him also, you know, I mean, look, I, I, I tr- try to do my best in the left versus right thing, but when I ran for mayor, and I was fairly successful when I ran for mayor before my whole debacle, but, you know, my platform was three parts. One, a 10% tax cut for the middle class meaning anyone making less than $250,000 would pay less taxes, not more. We'd pay for that by having a 1% increase in taxes on millionaires and billionaires. And we'd also do a 5% cut in programs every year, meaning I wanted actually 5% of the programs, the worst performing programs, to be eliminated. So if you do, I would ask all my commissioners, I said during the campaign, make me a list of everything you do and in order of how effective they are in serving the people of the city – and you can, and I was considered kind of the conservative in the race. I was not like a. I consider myself a centrist Democrat, but I have very 
liberal kind of leanings. I think that healthcare, for example, should be a right. I think that we should have a single payer healthcare system. But I'm a low tax kind of guy. But you know, I think that people, I think we should be sensitive about taxes and things like that. Um, but what I would argue is that, and one of the reasons I call the show the middle is that both extremes, both my left wing friends in the Democratic Party and the right wing of the Republican Party, has gotten to the point where there's no conversation. That you can have just on substance and compromise and anything else without it being this all or nothing proposition. And so that's where, where I come from and that's why we've had a good conversation today. And maybe to continue that, let's go to Chris in Long Island. Hey, Chris. Anthony? Yes, Chris. Anthony? Go ahead, pal. I know. First of all, I'm very good friends with Richard from Texas. I know exactly where he lives. I can't reveal it. <laughs> okay, He's fine. He kind of lives in a bad cave. I can't reveal the source of where he lives. But. Fair enough. It, it'll, be, it'll be your secret. It will be, but we are really good friends. Uh, he's a customer of mine, actually. Um, anyhow, and we talk a lot about your show. That's one of our topics oh, good. of conversation. Oh, good. On Monday, we usually you know, have a whole thing about your show. And we both like you. We always say the same thing. But, see, what you just did there was very unfair to what Richard was saying. And I'll tell you why. You went right to New York. Now, what he really means is not only just New York. He used that as an example. But look at Baltimore, St. Louis. Just go look at the list. I, I Google it all the time. For my liberal friends, the worst run cities with the biggest crime where people leave. You ever go down to Baltimore? You ever see what's going on down there? I went to the Yankee game this year down there. If you stay outside of the harbor, if you just walk to, through the city, it's, it's shuttered town. And it's been run by Democrats for years. Uh, say what, like I said, St. Louis. Go to some of these cities. They're all run pretty much by Democrats. But, Chris, let and, me ask you before I'm going to let you finish. But let me ask you, if you wanted to do a statistic for crime. That compares apples to apples. I always point to the crimes per thousand residents. You can't just say a small town that has 10 burglars, but there's only 20 people has low crime. So if you look at crimes per 100,000, nobody near the top of the list are big Democratic cities. It's all middle sized Republican cities. All right. All right. I mean, see, that's what you're doing now. Like, in other words, you're. The big cities are run by the Democrats, okay? This is what I'm saying. So you're going one in a hundred. Guess what? Guess where a lot of those, they're in, like St. Louis is in Missouri, which is a red state, okay? Now, where do you think most of the crime was? Seriously, in the suburbs, the deep suburbs, where Republicans probably reside in the state of Missouri, or in St. Louis? It's going to be, there's crime, crime happens where there are people, right? Do we agree on that? I agree with you. Okay. So, yeah, so saying a city of 8 million people has a lot of crime, but we have fewer crimes per capita than they do in Sarasota, Florida. It's just not a fair comparison. Yes, big cities have – by the way, Chris, I have a proposal for you. I just thought of this. Do you and – what's the fellow from Texas called? Richard. You, me, and Richard will do a, a, um, a middle unplugged. A podcast, the three Absolutely. of us. Fair enough. All right. So before you, Chris, before you hang up, and I'll let you finish your point. Don't hang up when we and and Ava. Can you take Chris's phone number? We'll try to find. He knows where to reach the other cat because they there's a general critique of me that I'm unfair and I cut people off and I don't hear them out and we don't have and that's a, I think it's a fair critique because even people that I love and respect have said that to me. So what we're going to do is we're going to do an episode of the Middle Unplugged where the three of us are going to air it out a little bit. We'll get on Zoom. And we'll let you guys say your piece. But, Chris, do you want, do you want to wrap up on, on another point? Yeah, I'll just say this once again. Um, the, you talked about how Republicans are the party of opposition. 
And I'm just telling you, I, I'm a libertarian, by the way. I'm not even a staunch Republican. I know, I know. I'm, I'm, I'm in the middle, okay? But I've noticed that from the Democrats, too. I mean, and I have a lot of liberal friends. To me, they, they were always the party for the four years Trump was in office was stop anything Trump is trying to do, anything. And you know L- that. Like what, true. Chris? I mean, like what? Like stop anything Trump trying to do? Okay. Uh, what about the XL pipeline, okay? Right. Well, that's that's the, the, way, the XL pipeline was stopped by lawsuits. It goes through people's backyards. That had nothing to do with you. You might have had Democrats who who didn't like that idea. But why don't you take infrastructure? Tell me about Donald Trump's infrastructure bill. There was none. Where is Donald Trump's immigration bill? There is one. You can't accuse the Democrats of being obstructionist when the Republicans couldn't even get a bill on paper. And when they did the first uh, the Second Chance Act or the First Step Act, whatever it was, a lot of Democrats joined in. All right. L- let me ask you this. OK, I hear you. And I listen to your points. I don't just yes, see the death and then disagree. So I take it what you say very seriously. Uh, all right. I will say this now to get policy. But I just want to ask you this. Why, when Trump left office, the uh, 30 year mortgage was three and a quarter, I think, was it? Now it's over seven percent. I have relatives that cannot, you know, afford to buy homes anymore. So I want to know, what are the Democrats and Biden trying to do to bring that down? Well, well hold on a second. First, all right, fair enough. And I appreciate, Chris, you're going to stay on the line. We're going to try to get your contact information. And, and we're going to do an episode of the podcast where we just get some of my best callers who don't like, you know, some of the, Okay. Interest rates are up because inflation was through the roof. And we have really one fiscal policy, monet, I'm sorry, monetary policy way to reduce inflation. And that is to raise interest rates so people don't have as much money coming into the economy and they hold on to it because they're getting paid interest to hold on to it and it stops prices from going up. That is the tool we have against inflation. And that's not Biden. That's not the Congress. That's the Fed, the Federal Reserve, which is an independent body that makes these decisions. We were for years and years and years giving banks money giving away money for 0%, and then they were going out and making 2% on it, and we think they're geniuses. We think Jamie Dimon is some kind of a genius because we gave him 0% money. He made 2% on it, and he's a genius. That's the only way, and the reason we had inflation was because after COVID, after COVID, we had people consuming enormous amounts right away. We had a war that limited fuel supplies. We had we had things like shipping containers all in one side of the of 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 uh, of the pacific and as those kinks worked out we have policymakers whose job it is to try to bring down inflation and everyone said from steve moore to everyone oh we're gonna have a recession we're gonna have a recession we're gonna have a recession. but no because they raised interest rates there was less money coursing through the the economy and slowly now inflation has come down to the point that eggs are down 22 percent, poultry is down 5 percent, and we now have inflation rates that are lower than they were before COVID. That is the answer to the question, and I'm glad you can, I could help you with it, Chris. I'm Anthony Weiner. We'll come back to wrap up the hour right after this.
finding new ways to make change, reaching across the aisle to work with both sides. Before all this happened, Anthony Weir, he was fantastic. That guy could have been the president. This is The Middle with Anthony Weiner. But Weiner may be my greatest challenge yet. He has gone toe-to-toe with many pundits before me. On WABC. Welcome back to the middle. Coming up at 4 o'clock, Curtis Lee comes in for left versus right. I have a question for Curtis if he's going to prepare some notes for the show. Curtis has to do a lot of hours, and so he probably doesn't have to do much preparation. But according to the data that Eric Adams released about the migrant crisis and how much it's cost, $394 per day per migrant? That's $143,000 a year. Is that really what it costs? I mean, I'm... I'm sure it's an inefficient way to spend money like because you probably have to do temporary contracts and stuff. But, man, that sounds like a lot. Uh, let's go to uh, Dennis in New York. Hey, Dennis. Hey, Anthony. Uh, please tell Eric Adams to lead by example. And I mean this when I saw these budget cuts coming down. They all affect children. After school programs, swimming programs. What Adams should do is direct. We lead by example by having all managers, $200,000 or more, take a 10 to 15% cut in their salaries. They're still going to have a six-figure salary. But the idea is we have to lead by example. You're taking it out of the programs. Take it out of the people's salaries. I think it's a great idea. Dennis has a good idea. Let's go to Teddy and Yonkers. Anthony, how you doing? I think you're great as usual. Very articulate, and you make your points, and you handle the right in a positive manner, and you're not arrogant with them. Okay, I'm, Anthony, I'm upset with the Democratic Party. I've always been a Democrat. I always supported you. But, Anthony, what's going on with the extreme left and with the demonstrations at the colleges? It's just outrageous. And, Anthony, I swear, I hate to say this, But if it comes down between Biden and Trump, if they are the nominations, I have to give considerate, deep thought about whether or not I'm going to vote for Biden. Because, Anthony, Trump was feared in the Middle East. For whatever reason, he's feared in the Middle East. And we have to have a strong leader to deal with all of these characters out there. And I think Iran is blanking in their pants if Trump gets in. I don't know. I could be. And I appreciate Teddy for the kind words. I don't know. I, uh, I've heard this a little bit. You know, look, there's Joe Biden. Joe Biden has more of these international problems going on on his watch than happened under Trump. That's that's true. But, you know, do you really want a president who stands up next to Putin 
and says, I, I trust Putin more than I trust my own military and intelligence advisors, or I believe that, you know, but when, when, Putin, when, when Trump's intelligence, uh, intelligence officials report to him that Russia attacked our, our, our elections, he says, I asked Putin about it. He says he didn't do it, and I believe him. I don't know. I, I, thought, I thought Trump was actually very weak on, on Putin. I mean, you're certainly weak on, on North Korea. He goes and has a meeting there, gives give that guy that that two bit thug the you know the front page of every newspaper in the world, and then gets nothing out of it. I don't know. I think that stuff is what is 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 somewhat oversold. I mean, I mean, here's what what Joe Biden has done. Joe Biden has unified Europe, stood up to um, uh, stood up to Putin, organized the whole world. The, 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 the whole world to do it, ended the forever war in Afghanistan, even though the schedule that Donald Trump put us on was like going to going to jeopardize a lot of things. He's, you know, Joe Biden went ahead and did it. I think his foreign policy credentials are pretty good. He's he's made a lot of alliances in Asia. Although I know both these guys are unpopular. I get it. But I think I'd take uh, Joe Biden any time. But that's why the show called the show the middle. We get both viewpoints. Stay with us after the news break, and Curtis Lee will be coming in for left versus right, left and right. First you have the middle, then you have left and right. I really don't want to express my gratitude to all of the callers and to Ava and to Nick and to Kevin. It's a great show today because we respected each other. We heard each other out. The last caller said, I'm not arrogant. <laughs> it's the first time I think that's been said. We'll see you on the other side. Britney, 